What's the uh, Django's buddy on his shoulder there? That's his pajamas. Yeah, it's my pajama head that is uncomfortable when it's behind me and uncomfortable when it's on me. So I just put it, I put them on my shoulder. <laughs> Django, you were wearing glasses, I feel like, when I got into this. Yeah, I've got sleep in my eyes and I keep rubbing them. Out. I don't want the glasses to get in the way. It's it's called efficiency, Jeff. Look into it. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, you looked like freshly roused and you had glasses on. And you're in your jammies and your beard is probably going to change before you leave the house again. And I was like, this guy looks like shit. <laughs> You'd make a really ugly German. <laughs> I remember it being springish when Jeff and I recorded my first episode. And here it is springish as we record our together last episode closing the tome and yeah we'll do we'll do a little bit we'll do we'll do some things occasionally it's not the final episode that'll show up on a feed but yeah uh, just the final, final issue <laughs> um gentlemen we should probably get the heck into this thing what do you think we should um i can't believe they ended it on number 12 i know what a weird <laughs> i felt like there was going to be more climax to that fight scene right like we'd actually see it Quarantine episode 77 coming up sevens on the final issue of the podcast Grant Morrison's Batman Run the issue by issue podcast that we've been doing for basically a year now we actually could just kind of have a long conversation about how this is a, essentially the one year anniversary of the pandemic which is what we just spent several minutes talking about <laughs> um but yeah this is the final final episode of a thing that we started almost a year ago Thanks for joining us, the fifth member of the podcast, all of the wonderful listener audience. Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm Django. I'm Roman. I'm Lumps. Mm. <laughs> it fits in because of his face, but also the lump from Last Rites, and then also, you know, the baby bump that was Damien. No, yeah, this is just, it's a lumpy run, this whole thing. This is a, this is a paper bag stuffed full of mashed potatoes of a run. Hell yeah, it is. I love the idea of a baby lump. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what they're called, right? Baby bumps. Baby bumps. I like baby lump a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A stuffed lump doll that just like is in a diaper. Oh, God. It's just a potato, like a mashed potato stuffed into a diaper. Thank you. Change me. Change me. I'm in your mind. Change me. I'll change you. I'm, in, I'm trapping you in my potato sack. <laughs> my mental potato sack. Um, yeah, we gathered here to talk about mashed potatoes for about an hour. That's, uh, that's what today's going to be. I love them. I do too. Now oh, I'm thinking about making them today. Mash? Oh, yeah. Oh. But a lot of times these Batman Incorporated. Gassy. Yeah, these Batman Incorporated episodes happen on my Batman in Quarantine episodes happen on my day off, uh, and it usually propels me into like getting some asinine food. And I'm gonna probably go get some potatoes and make mashed potatoes after this. That's what y'all brought oh, yeah. on me. You make brought. Sure I don't know too... how to butt burp myself. Oh. <laughs> Lumpy. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, we're not going to make this the sort of waxing, poetic, sad, cap, final episode retrospective. This one's going to be about the comic book. And, you know, there'll be some probably nostalgia stuff in there as well. But uh, then expect to see us next week, maybe a couple days delayed, to uh, get a sort of retrospective what we learned. Hey, we finally made the road trip destination to the very end. We're here, everyone. Let's talk about that long car ride we just had and the rest stops that we stopped at. The B variant cover on this issue is not nearly as good. Who did it? I don't know. Oh, something. Shalia looks like someone you would see in Hot Topic. She does. It's almost <laughs> like a bad Gene Colon or something. Oh, wow. Huh. Or like Sienkiewicz in his sleep. I bet that that's yeah. what... I bet that Sienkiewicz tries to lucid dream and draw things in his sleep. It's not and they just grill? see what he did. Uh, it does have an M. Could be Grell. Could be Grell. Could be Grell, Django. I don't think I have that in my... In my, uh... I don't think the paperbacks always yeah. showed the variant. Yeah. Hey, Roman, are you going to be able to do this through all the tears that you've been kind of squeaking out over the last several days thinking about this? Oh, here it is. I found it. Um, yes, because I'm heartless and cold, like the sea. 
<laughs> the night like mariner terms with his sockeye slap um yeah we're just kind of bathing in this moment since it's going to be sad to own it uh and end it all but this issue starts where issue number one volume two of batman inc began which is bruce getting arrested by gordon and we get a big climactic fight with he and talia spoilers they save they save the world and there's some things that happened on the last couple of pages um thanks for joining us on batman in quarantine we've got to talk about bruce's face though right like what the, we, we love chris burnham but like is it too many lumps is it too <laughs> many bumps like is it where where are we all at with that knowing what we look so dry too yeah oh yeah it's he's true. thirsty knowing what we've learned about chris <laughs> burnham's art in the last few weeks um i would say you could correlate every one of those lumps to a punch that's probably true yeah that's probably true yeah i don't think it's too many i mean it's kind of i think it's kind of refreshing to see bruce all beat up and showing evidence of it as many fights as he gets into okay right and he just fought like you know kind of robot baby devil guy you know yeah so pretty tough duty took on and so he, he got face slapped pretty good yeah you got sockeye slapped left and right <laughs> yeah he did that's what someone looks like with one punch from roman i wonder if... one sockeye slap from roman <laughs> i wonder if um i wonder if the cow if he has like built in like memory foam or something on the inside of the cow to accommodate like bruises and face swelling and stuff <laughs> during his battles i thought you said cow so I was like fully thinking <laughs> about memory foam. bat cows, like, you know, suit. I was like, are you thinking about him getting inside bat cow? Like, what, <laughs> what is this moment? No, that'll be the Garth Ennis run of Batman. Oh, yeah. You and uh, the goon issue that you showed us from this week. So, okay. So just right off the bat here, we start at the two graves now. Yeah, the towers. The two towery graves do we definitively know that that was supposed to be Damien and Talia? Did it say that? I think so. Because in sort of just like, does it say that later in the issue? Because I thought I remembered reading somewhere. It says it in Doc Walk's explanation. It read it. I read it a couple other places that were sort of summarizing it and discussing it, but I didn't remember it distinctly saying that. And the Jeff world. What I want it to be, and it's probably not, but there's always like a Jeff kind of like he reads his most interesting thing. I want that to have been Damien and Fatherless's graves. I wanted oh, it to be yeah. like the grave of both of his <laughs> sons. But I know that he died on the top of the Wayne Tower. I guess that exploded. So it's probably not him. Maybe it makes more sense it would be Talia. Um, because then Ross can resurrect her. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, the, her body would have gotten scooped somewhere. I just kind of liked the the poetry of like both of his sons there, and that like there was kind of the idea that he was going to be the thing that brought about the end of the world, and it could have been Damien, but it ended up being fatherless. Who that vision was about, and you know, I, the the duality of both of those two things being buried there, I, I really liked. But I don't think that's what it was. But that's kind of the meaning I chose to pull out of it. I think it's pretty fucked up and batman poetic to have his kind of potential lover the closest thing to a wife you know or at least the mother of his child and his child there like yeah bruce don't ever try to make a family yeah they, they just end up under a tower dead yeah you know so yeah. it, it's a uh, flipping to the one of the last pages where bruce is looking at the the empty graves this there's there's a fucked up kind of symmetry and poetry to it Fucked up symmetry and poetry. And just like you said, don't ever start a family because, like, here we are once again, Bruce, the odd man out of a dead family trio. You know, right. like first mom and dad, then mom and son. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a bummer. Who's next, Alfred and Alfred from Earth Two? <laughs> well, I'm glad that we saw Alfred in this issue. Did anyone yeah. feel like we needed him, like calling Alfred and being like, "Hey, come back to the fold"? Or I, I would have yeah. liked a little more with that. Just kind of just wished Alfred was more present through this part of the run. Yeah. <clears throat> I've got my giant mech suits. I don't need a butler. For sure. <laughs> what were you just going to say, Roman? I, you know, in the story, I never, in the issues, I never did figure out. I figured one of the graves was Damien's, but I never did figure out who the other one was. 
I mean, Talia, I, I guess that kind of makes sense, but I kind of also feel like Bruce, even if he wanted to bury her on his Wayne Manor property, I, I think Roz would be like, no, give me yeah. back my daughter. That's my thought as well. Like I, and also the vitriol between the two of them, but I guess yeah. they did have that kiss and I did like, the kiss batman was like yeah i mean kind of knew she was gonna have poison lipstick on which didn't even really matter but like i do like that kiss because it showed that there is this really like there's a relationship there that you can't undo they don't just hate each other if they just hated each other i don't think that there would be the intensity of this relationship like this entire battle i think there is both this sense of like dejected lover in both of them a bit for sure i think that it it works perfectly that it's talia and i think it kind of shows that like even after all of this, Bruce still has some empathy, some understanding, and some yeah. care for her, even though, you know, she's done some pretty heinous things. I think I think that the interview scene with Gordon is Grant Morrison telling us that it was Damien and Talia. Right? Because Gordon says there were two headstones in the family plot at Wayne Manor when we found you. What happened to your son? What happened to Talia Al Ghul? Okay. Like okay. Nobody says that that's who is in there, but right. That's probably that's the inference. Telegram yeah. there. I just like, I don't know. I like exploring Batman's sense of familial obligation to fatherless. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's like kind of the ultimate failed parent story to me that is within all of this as well. For sure. When did he know? Did he know that fatherless was his son? I think it was that, you know, he probably felt a pretty strong instinct, but I think that it was that moment, like when the, the hood come, the helmet came off, like you pointed out in the previous episode where he stops raging because he sees it's just the disfigured head of a Damien aged clone. So I think Bruce has, uh, has built up enough strange psychological quirks to be able to get out of that particular bit of guilt, right? I disagree. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. But I'm not a father, except for all the kids that the three of us, four of us have. You could say that you're fatherless. I feel like fatherless's body is pretty yeah. done. Did blown the fuck up in that building. Yeah, I, I would assume so, unless a bat rescued it or something. You know, there have to be my, three... my choice of what I want it to be. There have to be three graves: one for his decapitated head, one for his body. Yeah, I know. I was even visioning like pulling the dead body part, like pouring them onto each other on it. Like, we'll just put the head on top of it or maybe wrap it in a <laughs> yeah, soccer ball. Put it on the chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a sad shot of like him sadly placing the head in the grave, like at the top, but it would just sort of fall to the left as he puts it down. He'd be like, he makes good enough. Alfred do it. Good enough. <laughs> Alfred, put the put the head down there nicely. I do like the back framing of like the kiss there and the city just totally on fire, like really hearkening back to those, you know, the 666 issues of the flaming Gotham. Right. And what a twisted psychopathic love thing that they have. This is what happens when two superpowered kind of crazy people decide to have a, a lover's quarrel. It's, yeah, that the is entire nice. city burns for it. Yeah. And it's even specifically Wayne Tower behind them. Right. Um, oh yeah, and there's the burning body of fatherless. So never mind. No, I'm just um, can we can we talk for a second about Gordon's timeline on that same page? Yeah, we're working with a Gordon who looks to be not much older than Bruce, mm-hmm. who's also there as a cop when Bruce's parents are killed. Was and this that gets rid of year one? Yeah, because... was that. So there's several moments of this book that have been clearly affected by the Nolan Batman movies. For mm-hmm. sure. Um, and and that, I think, is one of the most direct ones. Like, they did okay. with the New 52, the big thing that they were doing was they were de-aging Gordon, so he was going to have orange hair, and he was going to, like, stop smoking, although I think that had happened earlier. So I agree that age stuff isn't Roman. Is there Was there ever in like post-crisis continuity or pre-crisis continuity a thing or like infinite crisis where gordon was the person that was there tending to bruce or was that a straight nolan thing oh i don't know i'm sure there were probably stories before nolan where gordon was there i don't think it invalidates anything from year one um i kind of took it 
Well, yeah. Can, well, yeah, technically, but I think just in as year Hank, one, is he a new cop? He's Gotham? just arrived to Gotham. Yeah, he's just arrived. Oh, Chicago. But this panel here, I just took it as, eh, Morrison, just, just another example of his saying every Batman story ever. Happened. For sure. And, and here's here's a moment for one of them. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally agree. Because those, especially at this time, I think those Nolan movies were even viewed under a, a more loved light than they are now. I think mm-hmm. that like people were like, no, that is the Batman trilogy. And I think as time has gone on, people have softened on that a little bit. But yeah, not I, me. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's what happens when you shit the landing instead of sticking the landing. Yeah. Yeah. So when I watched that third one in theaters, I like, like I was convinced it was the best superhero movie of all time. And I've since <laughs> gone back and watched all the trilogy, you know, over and over and over again. But this was like maybe a year after that movie came out. So it was still pretty fresh in our minds because yeah, yeah. I don't. It might have not even been that long. Like yeah, there was several issues beforehand. It had they were delayed because of the shooting that happened at the the Aurora yeah. Theater where that happened. But thirteen came out that following summer because I was in Spokane that mm. following summer and yeah, I was in still in Bellingham. It came out like on my birthday. Yeah, I think I think it was within a year of the release. Like yeah. you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I, I it it just took me out for a second doing that math and then remembering the opening scenes of year one and everything. But it's not my continuity. This is Grant's continuity and we're living in it. It's like a meta yeah, a meta continuity. Yeah. yeah. Love the uh Club of Heroes just fucking up some bad guys on the world. I love that like Colonel Sanders skeleton guy. That's that's such a good villain for the the Native Americans. It is. They he has a name. I forget who it is, but Burnham shouted it out online actually. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. It's like not Colonel Sanders, but some name like that. I like how that's juxtaposed. Like all these guys saving the world while Bruce is making out with Poison Lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I want to talk about those kisses. That first kiss on the top left page of the three vertical panels, they look like awkward penguins trying to kiss or something. That is hard with that sharp nose. That sharp nose and their mouths both look like they're trying to like feed a worm to their young. Ow, my cheek. That's another Ouroboros is they're secretly feeding the the snake biting its tail to each other. Yeah. I'm an Ouroboros biting the head. I like that it's digitalis. That's the thing that poisons him, which was that thing that uh, Nets was using and, and stuff. That was like a, a little subplot through through ink. I thought that was cool. Which I think is awesome to so show the like um, as he starts getting poisoned and things start spiraling out. And like oh, the main title yeah. credit scene of this is a spiral that is an Ouroboros of black and red snakes eating each other's tails. Uh, which is a nice motif, but yeah, like the the net stuff was all so cyclical and spiral and disorienting that that's a good that's a good pull, Justin. And uh, poor Bruce, he's like, I'm tired of fucking tripping on whatever this is. I gotta yeah. get off this drug. This uh, like kind of acidy uh, memory. Yeah, I don't know, salinity drug. I wonder if he's having the same effects as he did in Leviathan Strikes. When we get spins around him, like right after that, we also have most most of the story is told in pretty straightforward panels, right? But Bruce is still all fucked up, and we get sideways panels with the swords crossed for the borders. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that was actually well. I know I was trying to figure out the flow of words. There is it the line of Wayne? Wait, your li- your son lies dead and buried. The line of Wayne canceled no batman is dead is that the order or is it line of wayne batman is canceled that that's how i read it yeah i read it left to right yeah see i think there's two right answers or at least not a wrong (laughs) answer um you prick uh (laughs) um but yeah it's uh it's a it's an interesting yeah that 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 bit there weird cool sword framing you know, my years practicing swordplay. <laughs> well, Django is famous for saying he does not like swords, to be fair. Django, what is... Why don't you like swords? Most of them aren't curved enough. That's true. That's true. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, for sure. Give him a cutlass, and he's a little bit interested, but yeah, a rapier or yeah, like just, something like that. Yeah, he's got no interest at all. Death. Yeah, <laughs> he hates a broadsword. So we we get the hole and everything back. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. This metaphor of the hole and things being love it. Yeah, yeah. I do too. I and I love the idea of like it was you know big enough to fit everything inside it, right? But it's also yeah, it, it's it is nothing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's kind of in every run, it's been a different thing. And every part of the, the trilogy of this run, it's been kind of a slightly different thing. Um, poor Bruce, it's just going to be there forever. I love that we get the secret origin of his crazy stitches on his face. Yeah. Well, just that page is so beautiful, like to have the exact shot of him, you know, post injury and then pre or during the injury framed within that one shot. It's really impressive. And that line of dialogue, I just absolutely love. Like, of course, I'm sorry. I couldn't love you the way you wanted me to Talia. You're right. Like that is just like the ultimate admission of like the humanity behind this entire thing. And I do love when she says like, I gave you exactly what, you know, you wanted the, the Leviathan, an empty promise of, you know, whatever, a bunch of unfulfilled ideas, just like the bat. And in doing so, she perfectly criticized the fallacy of just like, you're just a kid using symbology to scare people. And I did that same fucking thing to you, but in my spare time. Right. I don't remember what page that was, but. I, yeah, that was super cool. And it, <clears throat> I thought that it was just kind of a commentary on Star Wars fandom. Mm. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't like the story that you were telling me in the way that you wanted me to like it. You're mm. right, Disney. You're too big for me to fight. Django, this was before all that stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. We're going back in time here. Must have been scrying through the, through the time. <laughs> sure he was. Gosh. I'm trying to find that one particular line of dialogue that I really liked from her. Is it? Oh, yeah. I gave you an unbeatable villain. She also kind of says a similar, some similar things right before, right, right, right before spoilers. She gets shot. Yeah. By the woman with the golden gun. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> so, how do we feel about the Kathy Kane full reveal? I mean, she's got the golden gun, which is a straight up James Bond reference, I assume, unless that's earlier than that, but. I get, yeah, it's an interesting Doc Walk goes on to say that like that, you know, his inclusion of Kathy Kane is a statement about DC editorial making him return things to how they were and like this never happened because she's never here. And I I don't agree with that particular read, although, you know, everybody's got a good read, but it is uh I, yeah, it's a weird inclusion of this character that's only been seated this whole time to just appear at the end. And I remember my original run being like, I don't know if she's good or bad or what Spiral is, but they feel kind of bad. And I actually, in reading this, I think I realized that that is what kind of made me less interested in the very first Tom King book that came in, which is that Grayson Agent of Spiral. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, yeah. I don't know that I like Spiral. Like, I didn't, I don't particularly like that part of the Batman Inc. story. So I don't really want... At that time, that's what I thought. So I, Gosh, I'm just curious. No, I really the want to read it. Yeah. Opposite reaction where I was like, man, I love Spiral. I don't want some new chud coming on here and changing Grant Morrison's <clears throat> plans with Spiral because I always hoped that he'd go back because it's left so open and so vague in this. You know, it's just like we get implied that there's this like something more powerful than or at least more capable than what Talia has displayed. Yeah, like she's almost ended the world, and these people are like, "Well, now we got her. Let's shoot her and kill her." Like they're capable of killing Talia when Batman couldn't defeat her, and more capable than Batman, right? And they kind of implied that like they just kind of let Batman do his own thing, like, "Oh, let the kid have his kid games, and we'll we'll handle the real like real internet or global threats." And she she loves Batman and almost in like a sympathetic way now, like, "Oh, Bruce is just a broken kid. Let's just let him play his games." For me, I was like, what is Morrison planning with Spiral? Like this organization that's so shadowy that Batman can't even keep up. But then when that Tom King book came out, I was like, I don't trust anyone to do Spiral, but Morrison. And that's yeah, just I, my weird thing of yeah, wanting no, that no, to I, be. I had the same thing. And, and I really liked Spiral. I, I like Kathy Kane showing up here in the cave at the end. And Me too. And yeah, her dialogue matches um, 
tell you is that these are serious spy organizations that are so so many levels above batman they're just like yeah yeah sure bat just play in your sandbox in gotham and we'll take care of the real the real business i dig it on this read through but my original read through it was a little like that was left pretty unexplored like are you are you going to finish it i think that i maybe at that time had a little less faith that it was it was like that was a really almost kind of deus ex machina thing of the run oh, yeah and i mean it still feels kind of that way since we never yeah, got any right. closure you know yeah. maybe yeah. never will at this point yeah well, it Morris, was morrison <clears throat> says that they're done with superhero books yeah mm-hmm. yeah i kind of like Jesus. spirals uh, as a morrison's nod to you know all of those acronym spy organizations from bond and british television and stuff that for they sure. were apparently good at least if the main character good guy was working for them but they were all kind of <laughs> shady too that's mm-hmm. why that's yeah. why the uh what's his name um the prisoner it's why you know the first episode he slams down his resignation and resignation and leaves his organization because he's fed up with their shadiness hmm. right. i mean we we root for bond but he's like just like a mercenary for a government that wants to control the planet like he's just going around killing any threat towards like global yeah. hegemony he's like a bad dude and he's cool but we're you know if you think about what bond's doing i'm like you're toppling governments and shit i had a thought that occurred to me this time the the wing the persona that jason todd is has been acting as like night ranger or wingman i forget which one yeah, his name wingman, is I think. wingman the wingman um <laughs> do you think that that character like do you think that morrison was like kind of possibly like, possibly seeding like yeah this will be red hood's like new because i don't think he had fully become red hood yet at this point jason todd like he had done the batman and robin thing but he wasn't like cool red hood and the outlaws guy Mm -hmm. i wonder if he was like trying to give jason todd a persona that could be carried past his run like is this a character guys that had existed before the the morrison stuff i don't think he had his own book yet but he was red hood in under the red hood but maybe this was Morrison trying right, to like save right. him from being a hard villain. Like yeah. Let's, let's kind of bring him back to being a good guy again before he became super badass. Yeah. Red hood guy. Huh. Super badass guy. That's not actually quite a bad guy. Cause I'm still an anti-hero. Yeah. Right. And that's... Batman just has to turn a, a blind eye to him killing people in every other run. Right. What's that Roman? That's interesting. I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me. I thought I was thinking Morrison just put him in the wingman costume so that he, for this, end of this story he'd be a he'd look like a bat character again yeah yeah i was just like there i was you know when he scrolls in slides in and saves the day i was like it's a little interesting that that like we're still rocking this costume for him (laughs) like the reveal was several issues ago but he's still in this like pretty cool costume design i feel like I like the costume. I don't love the name, but I would almost prefer like a redemption of Jason Todd rather than just kind of regressing back to like violent Red Hood character that he's been for the past 10-ish years. Yeah. This could have been a good out to give Jason Todd another, you know, persona or uh, stage in his character arc. Hmm. Django, where are you? Oh, I was just researching Wingman's, uh, Wingman's first appearance. What is it? Well, so what's his name? Uh, Willis Todd from the Prime Earth. Okay, had so his first appearance in like this is really confusing. I think the the dude's first appearance was Batman four hundred nine by Max Allen Collins. Okay, but but not the costume. The wingman's first appearance was Red Hood and the Outlaws number zero from the New 52, according to the DC wiki. So none of that makes any goddamn sense to me. What? Uh, Yeah, I thought wingman was one of the old club of heroes from the 50s. Yeah. Or the 60s. It was definitely pre-New 52 because he was in that Black Glove arc that was pre- Final Maybe the wiki is counting new 52 as a hard restart in the new continuity that's the first time he appears yeah it's it's a rat's nest of information here mm. i don't want to really do in your ears live while i'm talking <laughs> myself, so i might mute myself if i get curious before we're done here but um i like that i really like um the idea that batman who is kind of like the master manipulator 
and planner was used by spiral and by talia like just him being such a a tiny part of this larger thing goes against everything that batman thinks he is i wanted to ask you guys like how do you feel about that because i i've felt split like at some point i'm like that's kind of cool that batman is just a tiny cog in a bigger machine you know it kind of de-emphasizes batman's kind of greatness that everyone likes to like well batman is just the best Mm -hmm. human there ever was but it also at the same time i'm like what else is going on in the world where batman is such a tiny little like what is spiral up to where the events that batman does seem pretty monumental and big within the dc universe so it's it made me feel weird like at the same time it de-emphasizes batman but yeah, I don't know. The fan part of me is like, no, Batman's not that much of a little, mm-hmm. just just a little kid in a costume. Well, we like it's a weird statement to leave at the end of such a. I totally agree run, with you. Where he's kind of, you know, in the last one, he went to the end of the universe and like did all <laughs> this crazy stuff, and now he's just like, oh yeah, he's still just that kid in the costume. When we see a spiral, at least I always think of it spiraling smaller and smaller, right? But it's also got a spiral bigger and bigger. And so at the end of this, we realize that we're in the middle of that path and it goes both directions for Batman's weight in the world, I think. Yeah. I think that was some of my like trepidation about the spiral stuff. Justin was like, I just spent seven years reading this Batman run. I love it. (laughs) And now you're trying to tell me that like secretly this other agency that you're not going to like now overtly write a book about. (laughs) is like a larger force than him and i i like it because you know i I think i guess i guess in saying that and thinking about it it's almost i i could view it less about batman as a whole and more about batman's attempt at like corporate power yeah um because in this like doc walk book at the end like he does this interview with morrison and he's like well do you sort of like believe in like this corporate stuff he's like or is like could there ever actually be a benevolent corporation and he's like no no i don't think that there can but i think the thing about batman is that because he's this comic book character everything that he does we view as like a holistically noble and heroic act that can succeed that's kind of what the thing is so in doing this corporate thing he really was creating a a corporation that you know could be perceived as something that no other corporation could be seen as because yeah even morrison was saying like no like i don't think that there's a corporation that's not evil frankly but um but because batman is this holistic hero even he can like wayne enterprise as an extension of an entirely noble heroic act yeah that has always been a weird part of this run for me is like thinking about Morrison of the Invisibles writing this book like the Invisibles is such a like decentralized anarchist kind of manifesto it's such a fuck you to giant you know he like the whole thing is about cities and corporations and greed and what that does to the human psyche you know that's what the archons are and like that Morrison who wrote the most like rebellious anarchist book of the 90s writing a book that kind of honors and builds up this like super corporation and then also is like the spy fiction of these like governmental agencies in their machinations always felt kind of weird like is this the same morrison but i guess if it's from this ennobled like well you kind of put pause on reality here where batman what he does is generally even if it is a giant corporation is we we do it's batman incorporated Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean it's there's there's pause on the reality in the invisibles too for sure. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I just mean like Morrison as a human being, you yeah. know, his work in the Invisibles, I feel like is pretty close to like his views on the world. Yeah, and anti-authoritarian and, and stuff, which is kind of... Roman, what were you going to say? Oh, it's just interesting that both his run on the, the Invisibles and this were both for a giant corporation and yeah. it's kind of a nice balance that Invisibles, he got to do what he wanted with those characters because they were his. But this one, he had to have this Deus of Machina ending here because he had to return it, return, you know, one of DC's biggest products to his starting point where he started writing it. So the next writers could come in and write about the product. Right. <laughs> yep. you know, DC didn't care that much about the Invisibles characters. 
Right. And it's, it's kind of crazy thinking about that. Cause like this run has also been pretty affected by a corporation's plans. Like, okay, well, I know we gave you six years to do this. Can you pause it and make it something different? Why we do a hard reset to try to like get a little more money. Like that's yeah. for me, if I was a writer writing that I would be, I mean, as a fan, I was like, pissed off about it. Yeah. What? It also didn't really work in the end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was, and as Grant Morrison, I would feel pretty like bummed out. Like the new Fifty Two was kind of a disaster, and I oh, sacrificed I, a huge I, part of my career. I meant Batman's Corporation didn't work. Well, so that might have been sure. their comment on the the whole thing. Yes, yeah, really, I think it's trying to say like Batman's best Justin Gotham going global might just be a bad idea for anyone. You, Did know? you say a bat idea? No, I wish. <laughs> Hey, uh, and I like that also in this moment, I, I read somewhere, but like in, in like RIP, basically Batman gets out of all of the kind of big arcs of this story through the help of a Robin. So like in this time, Jason Todd saves him and Leviathan strikes, Damien saves him, Batman and Robin. I can't remember which one was Dick. And oh, it's at the end of Return of Bruce Wayne. Tim is the one that saves him. And then RIP, I think Dick does. I forget the exact, but I thought that was like a really interesting, like he made sure. I mean, even though like Spiral kind of takes out Talia at the end here, it's never Batman that like put the bullet in the case, you know? Mm -hmm. he, he's kind of like robbed from like a hard victory every time he survives. And I guess that's Batman's greatest thing is he continues on. You know, he he'll, he's a survivor more than he is like this victorious Odysseus of a character. Yeah, he, he lumps on and lives to. He lumps his... on. Did you say he lumps yeah. on? No, no, <laughs> I went. Oh god! Oh man, that's great. Hey, yeah, yeah. At the end Roman, of this one, yeah. Jason Todd, or yeah, Jason Todd saves him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Batwoman or, or Kathy Kane kills kills Talia, but Jason saves him before that. I think that's a cool commentary. Batman's family being so important to him still. Like we're still at least we're getting Bruce. If he's like decentralized in the way, that like yeah, he's kind of a goofy little kid playing his game. Like at least we see that he's still like a a moral character who has connections to his family. And you know, I think that has been shown throughout this run is like how important the Robins are to the Batman. Right. And you know, family for him is kind of a big thing, or it's the thing. Does does. Uh... Damien save him specifically at any point or is he shoot he kills nets remember in leviathan strikes oh right okay I, I i couldn't remember if he did i was thinking that like on a larger scale maybe he saved batman redempt like yeah redemption or like yeah. yeah that and that's my thing is just like i i think that there's like a pandora's box that happened with this run which is the the actual father the relationship that batman has with both fatherless and damien mm -hmm. and i i I like that even as we put all the things back together, we've rung a bell that can't be unrung. And it is that now like he's been a mentor and he's adopted kids, but he actually has a biological son and I don't joke aside. So like, I, I don't know the lasting impression of that, but I think it's like pretty serious. Seems like I, I do want to touch on this epilogue here. And to get into that, I just want to say Roman, I didn't realize this on this time. Um, or sorry, on the first time, but I did see it here after just the amount of times that we've talked about Damien doing it. But that giant Damien ball on the top right of the page is him doing the hand in the fist Burt Ward <laughs> gesture that Damien has done throughout the entire run. And I looked at that page a hundred times and never noticed that before. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I ever noticed it until you just pointed it out. But I, I'm just, the, the idea... Uh, like, I think, you know, Morrison has talked about how they wanted to kill Damien. And that was going to be the end of Damien. But here we have all the genetic tubes and it's going to continue on and Talia's menagerie and Ra's al Ghul. And, um, you know, I'm, it's interesting. I'm curious, just how does that feel to people? Like, would you have wanted Damien to be dead forever? And we know now, spoilers, that he comes back because he's been back for several years. It wasn't the original intention. Like, how does everyone feel about that? Would they rather he was dead forever? Yes. Yeah, I was I was ticked off when they did eventually bring him back, even though that Tomasi story was good with Batman searching for his, his body. 
it wasn't even eventually, wasn't it like almost immediately? Within the same year. Like I mean, solicited we okay. when yeah. this ended? Yeah, like we, yeah, we, it was at the old store, which is, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. five years ago. and Yeah, yeah. And I would have preferred that he was, he was still dead. Especially considering the what is Damien's story I just read. But that's another podcast. Yeah. It may have I, been actually more than a year. Sorry, Justin. Can, yeah. Oh, I was just, I still kind of conflicted. Like, I think that they should have, one part of me says, like, honor Grant Morrison's run and intentions with the character and conception. But at the same time, and even though Damien is not who he used to be, no one can write him with the finesse that Grant Morrison did. You know, they kind of are constantly just making him a dick. And that's their mm -hmm. thing. Like, what level, how bad is Damien? That's like the gag they never get over. Like, now he's kind of a bad guy again. But I, I love that character so much. It, at the same time, you know, it's it's conflicting. Like, I'm glad I still have him around and get to read a Damien story, even if it is kind of a, a um, shadow. Yeah, like a shadow. Of you, you did just made me think of a, something, though. Like, we, right now, to date this podcast, we're just starting DC is their post-rebirth. They're in, like the Omniverse now, the Omni-Cheddar of the DC continuity. And the big fondue pot. And when this happened, it was in the New 52, and there was this sense of, like, linear continuity, right? Like, we need to say this follows this and this follows this. And then Rebirth was a little bit of an attempt to bring pre-New 52 continuity back to it. But if this had happened at a time where there was not such an emphasis on linear continuity, they could have killed Damien and then just been like, but we can write Damien stories that take place when Damien was alive. Right. And like, that seems like a better way of having your cake and eating it too, to me of like, we could tell some more Damien and Ro or, uh, Dick stories of Batman and Robin. I mean, I and, want a Batman and Robin run that just takes place then, right? Like the misadventures of new yeah. Batman and Robin. So it seems like we didn't need to leave this door open. And like the world we live in now with this omni cheddared continuity of like, we can write stories from 15 years ago, and it can be Elseworlds or whatever. Like, it just it's a bummer that this ended at the time that it did, because I think that it pushed an agenda that we needed to bring him back long like in a longitudinal sense rather than just like nope things can exist in a simultaneous reality right i i would have liked I, I think i would have been okay with it if they had killed him and then waited a, a longer before they brought him back because it it felt to me like yeah i knew he was coming i i suspected he was coming back the day that he died and the day after he died i knew that he was coming back somehow and I mean, that's, that's comic books, right? Like everybody right. comes back, but if they had given it two, three, four years before they brought him back, however they did it. Yeah. Like transplant his memories into a grown clone or I don't even know how. Django, how that's a great idea it. too. That that's better than the ultimate, like There's we took so him many to the fires of apocalypse and brought him, you know, pulled him out or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But and they could have brought him back with a Lazarus pit, which would be like a family lineage thing too. But Mm -hmm. And yeah, and instead they brought him back this Damien son of Batman book where it's just like him going through the snow with this giant red furry animal sidekick. Yeah, mm -hmm. the big bat. Yeah, I don't even remember what that was, but like it was this giant red thing that he had it in was, his. It was a mutated man bat. Was it? Okay. It was also a pet. Okay. Yeah. He did love pets. I do love that we got the shot of Bat Cow and Alfred the Cat meowing <laughs> at the very end as well. What do you guys think of uh, Jim saying that he always had his suspicions about Bruce Wayne and Batman? Mm, good, like, good is he question. saying that he always thought that Bruce is Batman or just that they were buddies? Or I, I think how he's saying that he, he knows. Point. Yeah. How could you not at this point? You know, if yeah. they worked together for so long and stuff. Like the I second best detective in the world, not knowing who his best friend is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just like <laughs> I imagine that Jim's like, he's just got to he's got to do his own thing. Let him believe that I don't know yeah yeah i've always i've always liked the stories where it hints that jim knows and he just doesn't say anything mm -hmm. yeah it's uh it's a good question i yeah I, I do i like the idea that he's always kind of suspected it but i also like the lack of knowing for certain you know mm -hmm. and i like i guess i like the idea that gordon is a person who is comfortable not knowing for sure right like that seems in line with what i appreciate about him right and i think Go ahead. I was just going to say so much of Batman is like keeping up the myth. You know, we all know who Batman is. Ultimately, it's pretty obvious. The richest guy in town is all <laughs> fucked up psychologically. But the like mythos is like 
that mystery of who he, who actually is is a little bit speaks to a deeper part than like definitely knowing who Batman is. Well, and if Gordon's if Gordon's doing it for anybody other than himself in the city of Gotham, he's he's specifically not investigating because he likes Batman so much, not because he likes Bruce Wayne so much. Yeah. Because right? they've yeah. always got kind of a shitty relationship. And then three minutes later, they're on the roof high-fiving each other. <laughs> <laughs> I like I the like inclusion. A lot better than Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah I do too. <laughs> I love the inclusion of like Ra's al Ghul is draining the blood of Mr. Nobody, right? Or Mr. Yeah. De- Dr. Death or whatever to like extract Lazarus pit venom or whatever. That's yeah. That's cool. You know what I guess astounded me about this final issue is that it made me both want to watch Batman the Animated Series and start Batman back over by Morrison. Like I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, man, I really want to read up to R.I.P. again. You know, like that. The whole run is just so good. I, I kind of part of me almost wishes that Batman Inc. had a period of time between the conclusion of Batman and Robin and Batman Inc. that gives it gave it a little bit more room to breathe in the way that like Gothic and Arkham Asylum are both these huge lauded runs, but they don't they're not like chapter one of this thing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like and I can go I can vacillate by feeling like I love that it's one big thing. And obviously I love that he tied it into all that. But just the like gothic horror stuff of those first two runs is is so is so fun and um i don't know if i feel like i i don't know if i feel like the run is better with this as the capstone as it could have been with like return of bruce wayne as the capstone but i'm curious what your thoughts are yeah i i personally wish that there was like a before they launched right into the whole campaign of what batman inc was with all the tie-ins and stuff that Morrison was allowed to write a little bit of just Batman, the main title and do some mm-hmm. other stuff, a little bit of tying knots and playing with other things before we jumped into this giant thing. I felt like, and he's got the mind where he could make it work at the end anyway. Right. You know, I, I wish we had a little more meandering time in, in a Morrison Batman universe that isn't so like this giant trajectory. Do you guys think you would like a Morrison Batman that wasn't this gigantic beast of a thing like what about like a 20 issue run that does not have something quite so heady controlling the whole thing or just like a series of of single issue like one to three issue storylines that don't have a larger story do you, do you think i would love it do you think morrison's they would be good amazing. at that i i think morrison's the best single issue writer there is in my opinion, that's, you know, I, I love a single issue that can tell a story that lives in there and only in there, but it feels infinite in there. Mm-hmm. You know, Pax Americana, some of the things in this run felt that way. Um, that would be my dream is to have Morrison kind of doing Batman adventure comics where, mm-hmm. you know, they, they begin and end within an issue or two or three. Dude, um, I think would be... I, I totally agree with you. I would love that. And your state, like, I think he is better about writing single issue stories that encapsulate a multitude in a single issue at the same time I'm, I'm reminded of the conversation that you and i had at work yesterday where we were just sort of talking about like compulsive desire to increase output or like you know like a sense of inadequacy that makes someone feel i don't know that morrison has a sense of inadequacy but like can he do that can he do just a bunch of one shots or like i think that I almost think that he inherently loves to build these things. Like this was going to be a 15 issue run that became 70 or ish, you know, issues. I almost like wonder how like green lantern was going to be 12 issues and it's become a, you know, 27 issue thing. Like, it's, it's, I, mean, I, I think he, he comes up with the big super organism and then stories are under it. But at first yeah. it's this giant, thing that like almost seems like he mediumistically channels it like it's like boom this idea and then everything kind of falls down yeah but at the same time he's the guy who wrote that invisibles issue that just tells the one story of the soldier yeah to me like has the beauty of slaughterhouse five it says as much about time and Mm -hmm. like you know the little moments of life that slaughterhouse five does in one issue like he's it's a weird thing to get a story like that from the guy who typically writes these kind of giant meta tales you know and that one felt so out of the blue when you come across it in the invisibles right like right yeah, yeah. but and so does pax americana so much 
which is part of a larger thing as well. Like that is yeah. one of the best single issues I've ever read, but it's not, it, it's part of a whole. Yeah. I still pull that issue out like once a year at least and go through it and just be like, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. I need to reread multiversity because yeah, I don't like that issue is what stands out about that. And the conceptual idea of the villain of the, what the Gentry is. Um, but yeah, like that, that whole, that whole thing. Okay. Listen, we're at the end here, uh, ish of the issue, and we're going to be back next week. We also have to make sure we get Roman to work on time and not just like hoard his beauty and ideological concepts that he, you know, holds underneath the nightmare. And I'm just vision. trying to hoard it at this yeah. point. I just yeah, I I need to milk it. it. I get yeah. it. Um, you but can't milk a seagull. Him in that too, you can't man. milk a seagull, he says. That is <laughs> very, very good. The um, best thing I've ever heard. Um, but I do just want to get into a quick a quick message that we've got um okay so i i tell my internet always kind of loses out when i go into my gmail so i took some pictures but then i got who was who mixed up so just a second um we got an email from chris buckeye i think that's i think i'm closer than i used at least used to be um I feel like this issue was packed with so much that I don't even know where to start. I think that the first time I read this, I was in such a rush to get to the end of the narrative story that I wasn't able to appreciate the structure and details of the issue. I, I for sure, that's my relationship with a lot of these final issues, but the motif of the Ouroboros is woven so intricately into the storytelling and all the while the art is literally spiraling, spiraling around us, drawing us deeper in. The whole issue is basically a condensed version of Morrison's run. We see so many callbacks to Batman's rich lore punctuated by action scenes dripping with gorgeous art. And throughout we get an early or an earnest discussion about Bruce's feelings. Stray thoughts. I liked Morrison referencing Gordon being there since it began in Detective 27, though he's been a bit underused in my opinion. The Burt Ward f fist thing must be genetic because baby Bruce is doing it as well as the Damien Claude on the last page. I would buy a Batman comic where it's just voiceover narration from Gordon over Batman and friends fighting whatever weird character. That's a great idea. Yeah. All in all, this was a great issue. I left It left me wanting more, but I suppose that was probably going always to be the case uh thank you for giving me a reason to revisit the most epic batman run it's been amazing hearing you guys break it down i feel like i've gained a greater appreciation for the way morrison plays with batman's long history that i wasn't able to recognize before thank you chris deeply and yeah, i think you, friends will hopefully be hearing from you um in a future episode as well um eric says this was an awesome Awesome ride. Thanks. This is going to be great. He's going to be on an episode. Um, let's listen to our... I'm not sure if you all know Andrew Carlson, friend of the show. He left us a final cast voicemail. Let's see Let's see what he's, his thoughts are. All right, boyos. We've made it. We're here at the end. It's been nearly a year, and I'm pretty proud of y'all. Uh, this is wild. It kind of sucks, but... I know we'll be able to stay connected with all of our friends across the ocean and such. Um, I'm excited to hear where you guys have next. But most of all, I've got a quick question for you guys. It's a little esoteric, I'll be honest. Because um, it's coming from my phonetics class that I've been taking. But it's also related to the Batman comic, of course. How do you guys pronounce Batman's... H H sound. Is it or or how is it? Do you how do you pronounce that sound? And on the same level, how do you pronounce Damien's? Is it or or? I don't know. I don't know. How do you pronounce it? I think I'm more of a and t guy, like a quick. But uh, I'm curious to see what you, how you guys read it. Um, yeah. Thanks for everything you've done. Um, yeah. Thoughts this out. This is Andrew, by the way. <laughs> um, and then just a second before we answer that one. Before the sound effects round. I was in a discussion uh, with Nathan and Andrew and Will. And 
uh, they posed a question, or no, they, they were talking about the t sound, and I was like, oh yeah, it's top three tied to a character sound effect, and then Will was like, don't answer this now, but lastly, in case it hasn't already made it into the discussion, I will throw up a question that came up in conversation the other day. Jeff had mentioned Damien's signature t was a top three character-defining sound effect. What are the other two? For me, Moo is definitely near the top. So, people's pronunciations of sounds, and then the top three ones. I know Roman's got to get out of here, so if you need to dip at any moment, Roman, to get to work just it but i would say i've always pronounced the damien t sound is like a almost a sound of disgust or like looking down at something like t like t um almost like a tisk but more of a like i don't respect where you're coming from i've always thought of that as uh kind of impatience um like give it a, to me like frustration like um t yeah 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 a, a short I always imagine his teeth are gritted when he does it. Yeah, mine's a a, a breathy or like a breathy, you know, like he's looking down at someone, like like a sar sarcastic. Of the ones we just heard, Justin's is most in line with what I'm trying to hear in my head. But we're actually splitting absolute hairs. Okay, so then the question becomes: top three. I don't want to push an agenda, but Rorschach's Herm has to be in there, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. my top one, two, and three. <laughs> okay, so Django's top three are all Herm. I love that. Um, An honorable mention is Batman's. Is that... I actually haven't noticed that as clearly as it was just described. Is that a thing that has been long-running? I feel like that's his, like, when he gets hurt noise, too, because in the animated series, there's always a, oh, that he does. In Batman the Animated... Like, he can get blown up in a building and have rubbish fall on him, or he can just get punched in the stomach, but the noise is still huh, like it's like a <laughs> H-E breathy, like, huh. and no matter what, Bane can break his damn back or he could stub his toe and it's still. Huh. Yeah. yeah and, and his, his HH, I hear it in different ways. I feel like since he's Batman, he's got like different variations of, of the. Of the huh. Hmm. 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 So we don't have a maybe a definitive. Well, I guess, I guess we can say Herm, T, and H are our top three <laughs> character-finding sound effects in oh, the interest of brevity. Um, maybe Justin, maybe have a good one. Maybe man. Oh, it doesn't make a no screech. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the screech. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make a noise, but I think a character-defining feature is Dick Grayson's butt. Oh, what an ass. I mean, I guess it probably does make a noise. At Our some next point, venture show it. is just going to be an issue by issue read through of the best uh, Dick Grayson butts. Okay. And then yeah. to send us out, Will Elmer responded to the crossover question from Papcast last week. And it was, I didn't get to chip my answer in for the Django's crossover question about the cover art, but Glenn Fabry would have been made some freaking amazing covers this run. Just think of how good Batcow would have looked on those. And that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. my friend is an incredible answer and that my friends is a perfect way to get out of here to make sure everyone gets to where they're going on time and a bunch of buddies who will have something to talk about next week with guests as we return to do our final pit stop along the road i cannot stress how incredibly i impressed that this thing has happened i am appreciative of everyone who started listening to it five episodes a week or four episodes a week going down to three episodes a week, two episodes a week, doing one episode a week, which is the responsible thing to have done at the beginning. But uh, I'm really grateful for everyone doing that. I cannot believe that it happened um, as an idea that started as a day of just feeling totally frustrated and pissed off and needed to do something. Um, it turned into something insane. I didn't know when I thought it would end, but I didn't think that it would end at the actual end of this run because that seems like a crazy dream. So I'm incredibly grateful to the three of you, Django, Roman, and Justin, for joining me on this stoned fever dream of an idea that started at the beginning of a pandemic and gave all of us a little bit of purpose, I think, on the days where there was just nothing to do. You woke up and you were like, I don't know what today is, but I'll make... I'll make some sense of work by reading an issue and talking about it with my best buddies. So thank you to you three. Thank you for the listeners for doing this. This was episode 77. We'll be back with 78. And we'll be back probably eternally with some form of this content revolving around a different nucleus. We are the atoms that surround comic book nuclei. <laughs> and as always, I am Jeff. I'm Django. I'm Roman. I'm Justin. And thank you all. And we'll have some more summative ideas next week. Keep it rolling. Okay, Roman, if you need to get out, get out.
I just have to tell you one thing. Yeah. That variant cover, drawn by Grant Morrison. Yeah, of course. It's got the just M to give you a little M A R. Yeah, yeah, no, of just course. Just to give it you a little Ouroboros for the episode. Nice. That's that's amazing because now that I think about it, it looks like all because he draws all of his issues and sketch drawings and everything. Like Superman Beyond ones are very iconic. And now I'm looking back at this and I'm like, dang, that's a good. That's that makes me like it more. Now I actually wish that I had it, <laughs> whereas I didn't think I wanted it before. But doesn't it look Cohen esque? Yeah, it looks like Dennis Cowan. It looks a little bit like Mike Grell to me. It looks a little bit like Sean Murphy in, in the way that she's drawn. 